The Bible actually says, do not love. It says those words. Now, it goes on to say more than those words. It can't just say that it's a complete sentence out of context saying, do not love. Uh, But those words are in the Bible. And it should be something that reminds us of the fact that it matters what you love. Okay, love isn't beautiful if you love the wrong things. Love is beautiful and and good when you love the right things, what you're supposed to love. Everyone loves. Sometimes we may think there's some people with no love in their heart. Everyone loves, but it's a matter of what is it that you love. Is it the true? Is it the good? Is it the beautiful? Or is it evil? Is it things of the world? Is it our our self-love that we have? And your love shows what is in your heart. And that's why it's so important, because what's in your heart, what's in your core, is, that's the most important thing about you, and everything else flows from that. And maybe we could even say that what you love is the most important thing about you. So we need to think about what is it that you love, that you genuinely love, not just that you say you love, but that you really do love. So John talks about this in this next section of 1 John, and so we're going to be reading here and talking about 1 John chapter 2, and this is verses 15, 16, and 17. So I hope you follow along with me. And it's going to start with these words saying, do not love, but we're going to see what it says after this. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh And the desires of the eyes and the pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. These are three verses that are definitely going to be worth our time thinking about these this morning. And I hope that you continue thinking about them through the week and on after that, because these are some very meaningful things. We're going to have three points this morning, one for each verse. So looking at verse 15, we're going to have uh, the first point we're going to draw from that is that loving the world is incompatible with the love of the Father. We think about the love of the world, it's incompatible. Notice it says, do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. This brings us to the question. I think we need to think about this right away. When it talks about the world, what is he talking about? Because you might even think, well, doesn't this contradict Scripture? Because I think it says that God loves the world, and we're being told not to love the world. So major contradiction in Scripture right there. Well, one of the things that we need to realize that's an important uh, factor in interpreting Scripture, interpretive principle, is that there are some words that can be used in more than one sense. And so we have to think in a specific context, how is a specific word being used? So you can't just look up a word even in, the, in Greek and assume that it always is going to mean the same thing every place. And so, for example, this uh, Greek word that is used here, John was writing in Greek, and the word for world is cosmos. Okay? Then we get our word cosmos from it. So that's the Greek word for it, and it's used at least three different ways in Scripture. And I'll show you some verses that talk about this. Uh, So one that comes to mind pretty quickly uh, is that it means the people of the world. 
And maybe this comes to mind quickly because uh, John 3.16 uses the same word in this way. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. And so, yeah, we're seeing in 1 John, do not love the world. But we see another verse that says that God loved the world. He loved us so much that God the Father sent his son. Uh, Jesus became, he was the God-man. He was fully God and he became the God-man so he could die on the cross for our sins. And that shows the depth of God's love for us. And here it means the, the people of the world. That's good news for you, by the way, because each of us, we are sinners. And if we didn't have God providing a way of salvation for us, it would be hopelessness. We would just be condemned to our, our fate, our consequences. But God loved you so much. If you're part of the people of the world, this applies to you, that Jesus came and he died on the cross for sinners. And that if you believe this, you turn to him, you can have forgiveness of your sin and not perish in hell, that's what it's talking about, but have eternal life that starts now and goes on forever, being with the Lord in glory and the true life that's from him. I mean, that's the gospel in one verse. And he uses the same word for world, but uses it in a different sense. So that's obviously not the way that John is using it in the verse for today. He's not talking about, do not love the people of the world. Uh, also, it can be used of like the physical planet, like the planet Earth. In the book of Acts, it uses it this way, the God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, and it, it goes on to talk about that. And God made this planet, and he made it, and he declared it good. And so the actual the matter, the physicality of it is, is not evil. We do not believe that the spiritual things are good, but physical things are evil. God created the world and, and called it good. It's fallen, you know, because of sin, things are messed up. They aren't the way that they originally were. Uh, but when God, or when John says, do not love, you know, the world, he's not saying, hate the planet, you know, and just, so, you know, go, you know, dump some toxic waste, uh, just start polluting like crazy. Uh, no, he's, he's not saying that. So what does he mean? I think the way to describe what he does mean, John, the way he's using it here, is different ways we could say it, but we'll say it like this. Society organized by Satan in opposition to God. Then we talk about the world as like a system or systems, different beliefs, different values, uh, different influences. And behind all of it, behind um, mankind that is in rebellion to God, uh, we acknowledge that there is an ultimate enemy, that there is Satan, the devil, and that he's behind this. And it is in opposition to God. And we see this used, well, it's in our passage from First uh, John, uh, but Second Timothy 4.10 talks about this guy Demas. And early on, he was somebody that he was a helper to Paul. He was, uh, you know, devoted uh, but then something changed. And by the end, Paul is in prison. He's awaiting to be executed. He's all alone. And it says in 2 Timothy 4.10, for Demas, notice, in love with this present world, you know how sad that is, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. His, he's left him because he's in love with this world. It doesn't mean he loves the planet. It doesn't mean that he loves the people of this world, but he loves 
the, the things of this world, the systems, the things that are in opposition to God, and said that's more attractive to him, and it pulled him away from God. And it showed, we think, what was truly in his heart from the beginning. So when we think of this, it means, think of all the things in society, everything from advertising, uh, so many things that are advertised that you know, this is against what God's will is, media, you know, common values that are shared among people that sometimes are really different than what God would say to us. You know, it's Satan's organized system that rebels against or, or squeezes out God. You know, sometimes there's things that aren't bad in themselves, but things that we're taught that uh, we're being promoted that we should love these things so much that it, it just squeezes out any attention of God and takes up time. You know, how many people, okay, you're, you're here, and I'm thankful that you're here on a Sunday morning, but think of how many people just, they got other things to do on Sunday, better things to do, that are just squeezing out the attention that they should give to the Lord. It's basically the opposite of the kingdom of God. You have the Lord that is king, and yeah, there's a future kingdom that's going to come, but right now it's uh, what is uh, pointed in the direction of God, what serves him. And it's the kingdom of Satan, the world, is the opposite of this. I'll give you another verse. This is from the Gospel of John. This is Jesus saying this to his followers. And he says, If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. Okay, so if you were just like everyone else, those that were part of this system, that you, you love the things that they love, you love all the stuff that's in opposition to God, you're, you're in on all their things, he says, it would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, that God chose them out of the world and saved them, therefore the world hates you. Because the world and God are in opposition. There's a love of God there's a love of the world, and these two things don't mix. It's one or the other. And people that try to combine these two or think you can have it both, that doesn't work. And so we think of world, you know, in, in this way, uh, that a, the society organized by Satan in opposition to God, I think most people don't realize this. They don't realize when they, they live their life and they live out the values uh, the world around them in society that, you know, ultimately they're, they're following this system that, that Satan has constructed. And then different things in different times in society, uh, different things work in different ways to try and pull people away from God, either in active opposition or just getting them to ignore God. But like a fish doesn't think about the fact that it's wet. Most of us in the world don't think about the fact that that's the water that we're swimming in. I mean, that's what uh, influences us. That's what is all around us. But we're so just saturated in it that we just think it's normal. But as Christians, God is, has pulled us out of this. He's trying to dry us off from that. And we need to recognize how ultimately not normal and not good it is to be in the world and in love with it. In this verse, it's a command. It's saying, do not love the world. That's, that is a command uh, that is in Scripture for us. That we need to, to break up with this love that we have for the world. And even as Christians, we find these things in our, in our heart. We need to be working on these things, pushing these things out of the love of the world, of, of godlessness, sinful things, or like we said, even good things that can uh, engross us so much that it, it keeps us, it suits us from thinking about God, living for him, serving for him. Like, uh, you know, water doesn't actually, it isn't poisonous. 
okay? The reason that you die when you drown is not because the water poisons you, okay? It's not acid, uh, but it's keeping you from having the oxygen that you need. And so there are even good things that are in this world, uh, but that can keep you from what you actually need to be uh, with God and to have um, the healthy life with him. Now, in this verse, it says, if anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. We think, oh, how can that actually be true? Because isn't it something we all struggle with from one degree to another? And then, is, does this mean that if you find, you know, as we look at, you know, the rest of these passages, if you find you struggle with any of this, is that saying that you are not a genuine Christian? So we need to be careful how we think of this. And again, there's going to be some that are, uh, uh, that need assurance and they are real Christians. And there's others that uh, maybe you're not a genuine Christian yet and you need to have the other side of the message to recognize that there's a lack of what you should love and that should be a red flag warning to you. But uh, when it talks about this, the word love here is in the present tense. It means that there's an ongoing action. It's an ongoing thing. At the very least, I think this means that um, that ongoing love of the world you have this, that you can tell this is your true love. This is what you have. That is evidence of an unregenerate heart, a heart that has not been actually born again by God. Because one of the things that I think we have to realize, the scripture says, is that when someone is saved, when someone is, is born again, God does this work in your heart. He starts changing you, and one of the things that he produces in your heart is love for God. Not that our love for God is perfect in this life, but God starts producing this in our hearts. You know, one of the um, verses that uh, I've always loved, and maybe you as well, is Romans 8.28. Let's read it for you. It says, And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those that are called according to his purpose. And that's saying that God in his sovereignty, um, the good and the bad in this world, he, he's working things in his plan that ultimately it's going to work for, for good. Maybe not in this life, but in the life to come at least, because everything funnels to his glory. And if you know him as your, your Lord and Savior, then ultimately everything works out in the good for you. Again, maybe not in this life, but in the life to come, definitely. But notice how it describes Christians there. And in two ways, it talks about those that are called according to his purpose. There's a type of calling that is true just for uh, those that come to believe. But it also talks about those who love God. And I used to have kind of a hang-up with that because I thought, isn't it like adding works to salvation? Like you have to have faith and you have to love God and then you're saved. But I realized that loving God, again, is not a cause of our salvation, but it's an effect of our salvation. That when you are saved... You have a born-again heart. You're trusting the Lord Jesus Christ for your salvation. One of the things as the Holy Spirit enters you and changes you from the inside out is he develops a love for God in your heart. And that also is going to lead to change in life and obedience and all these other things. And so if there's nothing like that going on in your heart, that's a sign that uh, your salvation might not be the real deal, that you might need to come to Christ for salvation for the first time. And that maybe if you think, well, I'm a Christian, I've been, I go to church my whole life. Yeah, but does that mean that you're born again? It doesn't. Maybe you've never actually turned to Jesus Christ and repent and 
faith and trusted him alone as your personal savior. Yeah, maybe you, you know, said some prayer you didn't understand when you were four years old and there's no love of God in your heart. And maybe you need to realize that you need to come to the Lord for, for real. And so 1 John helps us to look into our heart to see if we see these signs of life, of real life in our heart. And hopefully you do. And if you don't, the good thing is you're still alive and you still have opportunity. And while you draw breath, you still have it. It doesn't go on forever, but you still can come to Jesus Christ. And I, I just implore you to do that. And me or Pastor Zach or any uh, <laughs> one that you've seen on stage, we'd be glad to talk to you more about that if you want to find out more about how you can know for sure. Love for God also, it's, it's an exclusive thing. I think that's what we have to get from this, that it's impossible to love God and to love the world at the same time. Like oil and water can't be in the same place. You're not going to mix oil and water. One pushes out the other. You know, if you're going to get married, one thing that you need to do, guys, is you need to break up with your old girlfriend, okay? Because it's probably not going to work well otherwise. And so, you know, if you're in love with the world still and you want to have this relationship with the Lord, uh, you need to break up with that old girlfriend, that old lover, the, the world. It's time to have that talk. Um, sorry, babe. This isn't working out. It's not me, it's you. <laughs> Jesus said you can't serve two masters at the same time. But man, so many people are in love with the world. They truly are. Second, we see verse 16. So it's the love of the world is incompatible with the love of the Father. And we're going to see us in the next verse that the, the world lures us with immoral desires. Their desires, uh, some translations use the word lust for this. For all that is in the world... The desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and the pride of life is not from the Father, but it's from the world. And yeah, some uh, translations, I actually like the translations uh, for this that use the word lust, because uh, I, th I think there's something to that that just communicates more. Uh, but lust and desires, they mean the same thing. Usually we think of lust as something that's bad, uh, but it all depends what is the object of your desire. And so if your, uh, your object of your desire is something that God says, this is okay, this is good, that's different, I have desire for, the, for the, the Lord. Jesus said desire for the, the law of God. But when it's towards things that are immoral, then it's something bad, something very bad. And Satan uses those things to, to lure us, to, to trap us, to uh, destroy us, and to keep us in his kingdom, in his world system. And so this passage is super helpful because it talks about three main types of bait that the world that Satan uses against us. And, you know, Scripture, it talks about there being three kind of main enemies, things that, that lead us into sin. There's Satan, the flesh, and the world, okay? And any of these are working at us all the time. So there's the flesh, the sinful part of us. There's uh, Satan himself, but also this whole world system, and they, they tend to be in cahoots with each other. And this is talking about three of these different ways that Satan, through this world system, lures us away from God and keeps us away from God. And so we see it talks about the desires of the flesh or the lust of the flesh is the first one. And when we talk about this, I, I think, think of physical pleasures, okay? Um, 
Now, sometimes in Scripture, the, the flesh is used of the, the sinful nature. I think this is uh, specifically, there, there's certain, here, it, I think it makes sense, it's talking about certain bodily pleasures, certain things that are part of our, our physicality that Satan knows how to use against us. Things that God has designed for good, but Satan turns for bad and makes it into sin and some very powerful things. Uh, God has designed there to be some physical pleasures that are very strong because they're intended to be very powerful things when they're used in the right way. So the intimate desire that a husband and a wife have for each other physically is a good thing because God created sexuality. He created that before there was a fall into sin Okay, Adam and Eve were commanded to be fruitful and multiply, but Satan is used, he's taken this, which is a good desire, and he, he's twisted it and wants us to love all these, uh, to use this in ways that are immoral, ways that are against how God has set this up to be used. And so, yeah, sensual sins, uh, physical sins, sexuality being not the only one, but a big one. So scripture, according to that and in God's plan, is that uh, sexual fulfillment is to be found between a man and a woman that are married to each other. And in that relationship, it is very good. Anything outside of that, it is not good. And that is something that is immoral and something that uh, is an expression of this, uh, the lust of the flesh. And think of how much the world is trying to uh, entice people with those desires. Uh, I mean, you don't have to go looking for it. It comes looking for you. Uh, you can't watch a football game without there being commercials. You can't, it's hard to um, you know, be online or drive and you see billboards or all kinds of things that are, uh, or people that are trying to push this and to push, push your buttons to get your, uh, your hormones racing. Think of the, just the scourge of uh, pornography and how much easy access there is to that, and how Satan is using that so successfully in so many lives. And I would be sure that there's many here that it's something that we need to be fighting against, need to be rejecting in your life. But it's also other physical pleasures, too. Don't think it's just about sexuality. Uh, there's things people love their, their comforts in life, okay? So it could even be, you know, the lust of the flesh. It's nice to stay in that, that warm uh, you know, blankets and that comforter. And, uh, you know, the Holy Spirit is our comforter, but a lot of people enjoy on Sunday morning a, a different comforter that they spend time with. Um, and so, you know, those are those physical pleasures. Food. Food is a good thing. God created food. But gluttony isn't a good thing. Just overindulgence, not being a good steward of our, uh, of our bodies in this. Or craving, just it has to be like the certain type of food. You know, just uh, I can only eat, you know, if, unless it's Ruth's Chris's, I, I, I just I can't have it. You know, and there's things that are good that you can have in, in moderation at times. Uh, but if that's your main love, it can be something that is uh, lust of the flesh that can pull you away from the Lord. Eating, drinking, sleep, you know, just the, the clothing, different comforts in life. So think about what are ways that Satan is using that maybe successfully in your life to draw you away from God. Tell us about the lust of the eyes. And I think what it's talking about here is the eyes are kind of, you know, the gateway. We see things and then we want those things. 
So the lust of the eyes, I think it's talking about possessions or our desire to acquire possessions. I think of this all advertising is about this. It wants us to see something. Maybe you didn't know how much you want that, but now you've seen it. And now I have to have this. It must be mine. And how many people uh, you know, are influenced by this? It's so easy to do. Um, and we live in a world of materialism and consumerism that every commercial is trying to, again, to push your buttons that you won't be happy unless you buy this thing, this car, this house, because that's how they make their money. And even those that claim to be Christians or Christians that fall into this. I was reading a story about one of these health and wealth uh, pastors uh, that's really well known and on TV and talks about your best life now and all this. And uh, that he and his wife, early on in their ministry, they were walking, uh, I think, in this neighborhood in Houston and noticing all these really expensive houses going up and saying uh, that, wow, I wish you know, we could have one of these. And then supposedly the wife had a prophecy from God that God was going to give her this, you know, and they would have one of these you know, mansions, and they probably got like 24 of these now. Um, you know what? Jesus didn't come to fulfill your lusts. He didn't come to promise you just the things of this world. And if that is why you're coming to Jesus, so... The thing that you want is not actually Jesus, but he can be an instrument to get you the things that you actually want, the things of this world. You are misusing the Lord. Uh, He is not here to be your genie or your wingman to get you your idols. The greatest gift he gives is himself and knowing him in a relationship with him. So we have to watch out for the lust of the eyes. And then the pride of life. And I had different P's, physical pleasure, possessions, we'll say pretentiousness. I know pride is already a, is already a P. Uh, but status, ego. Think of things that we do in life or maybe things that we want for ourselves also because it's going to make us look good. Status, boasting, the wrong kind of self-confidence. Think about what will make me look great? What position, what can I do? Maybe even at church that people will think highly of me, that I'll look great. I think it's about the trophies of life. And there's different types. Not all are physical trophies, some are. But the trophies uh, for ourselves, esteem from others, even from yourselves. So the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the, the pride of life. Some have said that there's like three main motives uh, for so many things in this world or uh, we're, we're doing our series on cold case Christianity, and uh, the detective that wrote that said that you trace most murders, they can go back to either sex, money, or power. And notice, lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, kind of right there. And this whole world, these things, everything that Instagram has to offer for us. And media, social media, it's like a crack pipe to get you to just love and love more and more and be addicted to these desires of the world. And it's, it affects all of us. I think mean, none of us just think that we're immune to these different things. Remember, Jesus didn't die on the cross to give you your idols. He came to give you himself, something that's more and more valuable. But Satan has been using these things effectively since the beginning. And he really has. I think this is really interesting. Think about, I mean, literally in the beginning. Because you go back to Genesis chapter 3, And you think about Satan tempting Eve. 
And they're in the garden, and they're told they can eat of any tree that's there, but there's one tree, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, that they're not supposed to eat from. And Satan, in the form of a serpent, tempts Eve and says to her, um, you shall not surely die. He tempts her. And then in verse 6, it says this. It says, so that the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise. She took of its fruit and ate, and she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Notice this. Temptation of Eve. She saw that it was good for food. So it's like, this would be good. It's good to eat. Bodily appetites. Lust of the flesh. And then it says, it was a delight to the eyes. Okay? Lust of the eyes. And then, desired to make one wise. Ah, I can be wise like God. To her pride, her, her self-esteem, her ego. So Satan has been using these from the beginning. And Satan, when he tempted Jesus, I think we can also, you can map these things onto the three temptations that Satan tempted Jesus with in the wilderness. If you look at it in uh, Luke's account, it has them in this order. Um, well, the first, he says, command the stone to become bread. So again, appeal, appealing to his, his bodily appetites. And then it says that Satan took him and showed him the kingdom of this, of this world and says, if you just worship me, all of these kingdoms can be yours. So he was having uh, Jesus look at these kingdoms and says he showed it to him all, all at once and gave him this promise. So it was something of the eyes that he could acquire. And then the last temptation is Satan tells him to throw himself down from the temple. And it quotes him, and it'd be a long way down. You would die if you did that. But he says, if you're the son of God, throw yourself down from here. For it is written, he will command his angels concerning you to guard you. And under the hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus answered him and said, It is said, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. And when the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from him until an opportune time. The point of that one was basically to show off that he was the Son of God. That uh, to uh, make God jump through his hoops and show off and people see, Oh, you know, uh, you're truly in the ministry, that he really is... Uh, the Messiah in, a, in just the wrong way of doing this. And I think it was an appeal to, uh, to try and get him to appeal to pride. Show off that you really are the Son of God. He really was, but we wanted him to show off. We have each failed in every one of these. I know I have, and I, I know if you look in your heart that we find we've all fallen in each of these. So what's our hope? Our hope is that Jesus didn't fail I mean, Adam and Eve, our first parents, they, they blew it. But Jesus Christ came as a second Adam, and he, he passed the test. If he would have sinned, there would be no hope. Because if your lifeguard is drowning, you're going to drown too. Okay? And so if our Savior sins, then you got no hope. But Jesus passed the test. He never sinned. And as it says in the book of, the book of Hebrews, really clearly, it says we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who in every respect, every way, has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Awesome verse. Jesus is the high priest here. He's the God-man, so he's a human, and so he can represent humanity before God. But, and we have one that 
He didn't sin, that's a good thing, but he knows what it's like to be tempted. He knows what it's like to have the world, to have Satan pushing on you and trying to get you to sin. I would say more than us, because temptation only lasts until you give into it. And Jesus never gave in, so he took the full brunt of this as temptation. So don't think that God doesn't know what it's like to go through the temptations that you and I go through. That Jesus was tempted in each of these areas, and this probably wasn't the only time that Satan was trying to get Jesus to sin. And he really felt it. So he's able to sympathize with us. He knows how difficult it is. But he passed the test. And then it says, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in our time of need. Which means I hope that, for starters, that you've come to Jesus Christ the Lord as your Savior from sin. And I hope that it also means that every time that you're tempted, that you don't try to fight this temptation in your own power that you go to him to receive the grace and the help that you need. He passed the test, but he knows how hard it is, and he loves you. He's not surprised by the temptation you're going through. He's not shocked by the fact that you've blown it many times. He loves you, and then he came to this planet, this earth, to die on the cross because he knew of your failures, and he still loved you. And he still loved you with the failures that you have in the future. That They're not good. We try not to but he still loves you regardless. That's why it's salvation by grace. It's a free gift. We don't earn it. We don't deserve it. Praise God that he loved us that much. Satan's an expert. Watch him learn his tactics. Learn the times that you fall prey to different things. Why do you fall at certain times? Why is he more successful? If there's certain days or places or times of the week where you fall more, pay attention to that. You know, make the changes that you need to. Get the support. Get the help that you need to. Satan will use whatever works at the time. He'll switch tactics if he needs to. And I think it's helpful for you to think about what is, of these different tactics, what is the biggest danger to you right now? I think that through what is Satan right now most successful using against you to get you to live contrary to God. Think about that. But also think about, if you made a list, what do you think is the least likely one? And watch out for that one too, because Satan is tricky, and he'll get you to think, well, you don't have to worry about that one, and that's what he'll use to come and knife you in the back. Last, verse 17 in each of these points, I have something with a, a word with the letter I. So, uh, first that the world is incompatible. These loves are immoral. Third point, the world is impermanent and not worthy of your loves. It's not permanent. It's, it's passing away. Verse 17 says, And the world is passing away along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. It's passing away, so don't get, too, don't get too attached to it. We get attached to a lot of things. Um, I'm going to give an example. There's a, there's a certain TV show uh, that I was watching, and there's a member of the congregation here that was also watching this TV show. And sometimes on Sunday we say, hey, have you seen this last, last episode? Have you got caught up to this? and have conversations. 
And at one point, I'm talking about it and saying, yeah, I'm starting to really like this. There's a character. And I was talking to this individual from church. I'll keep it anonymous because uh, I don't want to embarrass Bob Nickerson. Um, <laughs> but I was saying, yeah, this one guy, this, you know, this, uh, uh, you know, uh, you know, engineer on this show, and I, I really like this character. And uh, uh, this anonymous person says to me, uh, yo, don't get too attached. <laughs> like, thanks, Bob. Spoiler alert. <laughs> And, uh, yeah, the very next episode, this guy dies. <laughs> so at least I guess I had some heads up. Uh, but that's what God is saying to us here. He's saying, don't get too attached. Don't get too attached to the things of this world. They're passing away. They're not going to last. If these are the things that you're giving your heart to, you are in for heartbreak because they're not permanent. They're not going to last. And, spoiler alert, uh, it's foolishness to hang on to these things. The Greek word for passing away here, already is used in, back in the day, they would have plays, and like they do today, sometimes they have scenery that they would roll in for one part of the play, and then they changed the background scenery, and it was used of that, that it was only temporary, it was there for a little bit, and then it was moving on. And so, are you going to live your life for the, for the background scenery, the changeable stuff that's in the background? Don't get too attached to what is passing away. Uh, doing that, getting attached to the things of this world. It'd be like giving your heart to a snowman, okay? Might be, seem like the greatest snowman, but that snowman's not going to last. You don't want to have that be your, your true and lasting and your only love because that snowman's not going to be around forever. If you play Monopoly, think of that. If you're playing Monopoly... And you say, I really want to win this game of Monopoly. And the person says, well, here's what I'll do. You sign this over, and I will give you my Monopoly money. You win this, and, but you have to give me all of your real money for the rest of your life. You're like, oh, well, i got to win this game of Monopoly. So signing this away, you get all my real money for the rest of my life. I've won Monopoly. And that's what it's like for people that think they've won this world that they've got all the great things that this world has to offer, the lust of the flesh and the eyes and the pride of life. Great, brilliant. You've traded everything for a game of Monopoly. That's foolishness. And that's what God is telling us. That's what he's warning us in this passage. The things of the flesh, they're passing away. Pleasures come to an end. Things of the eyes, they pass away. Those possessions aren't going to last. It's going to get rusty. It's going to get scratched, these things. Pride is passing away. Fame is fleeting. How many U.S. presidents can you name? How much do you know about them? Do you care? And they were president. Love instead what lasts. God lasts. He is everlasting. He is worthy of your love. And it says, he who does the will of the Lord abides forever. Those who do not live for God it's not the same. But if you trust the God, you live for him, those who live for God abide in him forever. You won't end up like Demas, who showed his true colors and left because he loved the things of this world. Instead, you show that you truly do belong to God. So don't just love God on the surface. Love him deeply from your heart, for real. Give evidence of a born-again heart. Jesus is so much worthy of your love. And grow in the love of God 
and let that push out the love of the world, any that is in there. The love of the world, the love of evil from your heart. Love what lasts. What is true, live for what lasts as well. If you live for the Lord, then what you do in life echoes for eternity. Live for him. There's a poem. You've heard it. It's by C.T. Studd. And it has this refrain that says, Just one life, twill soon be past. Only what's done for Christ will last. Let me read it to you. I think it's worth our time. He was a missionary, uh, a British missionary, lived from 1860 to 1931. Two little lines I heard one day, traveling along life's busy way, bringing conviction to my heart, and from my mind would not depart. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Only one life, yes, only one. Soon will its fleeting hours be done. Then in that day, my Lord to meet and stand before his judgment seat. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Only one life, the still small voice, gently pleads for a better choice, bidding me selfish aims to leave and to God's holy will to cleave. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Only one life, a few brief years, each with its burdens, hopes, and fears, each with its clays I must fulfill, living for self or in his will. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. When this bright world would tempt me sore, when Satan would a victory score, when self would seek to have its way, then help me, Lord, with joy to say, only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Give me, Father, a purpose deep. In joy or sorrow, thy word to keep. Faithful and true, whate'er the strife, pleasing thee in my daily life. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Oh, let me love with fervor burn. From the world, let me turn. Living for thee and thee alone, bringing thee pleasure on thy throne. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Only one life. Yes, only one. Now let me say thy will be done. And when at last I hear the call, I know I will say t'was worth it all. Only one life, t'will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. And when I am dying, how happy I'll be if the lamp of my life has been burned out for thee. Let's pray. Lord God, Loving you is greater than anything else. And Lord, we can love you only because you loved us first. And we thank you for the depth and the amazingness of the love that you've loved us with, that you loved us so much that Jesus was sent into this world to die on the cross, that those that believe, trust in him, may not perish but have eternal life. And Lord, thank you for letting us know about the world, the loves that are in this world. And we admit that we have for so long been in love with this world, Lord. Lord, help us break from that. 
Lord, help us to grow in love for you, a love that pushes out any love for the world and this evil system organized by Satan, a love for these things that does not last, that is not beautiful, that is not good, true, a false love. Love for you will never disappoint. Work that in our hearts. In Jesus' name we pray and for your glory. Amen.